Welcome to the Arlington Baptist Podcast. Again, I am so thankful that you are joining me today. And I'm excited about our new series of uh, podcasts that we're getting into now. We just started it two weeks ago. And we're entitling this series, What's Happening? In other words, what's happening in the world, what's happening in your church, our church, our families, our individual lives. It's basically just kind of taking an overall look at a lot of issues uh, that are going on uh, in the world. And uh, let me just give a quick review of some of the subjects we're going to be covering, and then we're going to jump right back into the first subject we started on the last podcast. We're going to be dealing with uh, politics and government. We're going to look at social issues. Uh, We're going to look at family, uh, including, of course, marriage and parenting and so on, education, uh, we're going to look at uh, uh, vocation, uh, man and woman's jobs, and and uh, how we can serve others. And then we'll even look at some things about finances, and, and we'll probably add some along the way. These are just maybe six of the main categories that I uh, wrote down in my initial thinking about this series. But uh, we want to jump back in now to uh, this first subject, and it wasn't chosen because it's more important or less important for that matter than the others. It just happened to be on my mind. There's a lot going on uh, in in our country. Uh, if you're listening to the podcast uh, from the States uh, and you're an American, you uh, hopefully are up on a lot of the political, governmental issues that are going on. We're getting ready to uh, uh, jump into 2024 here, not too long, into a very important election year. And so I thought I'd start with that subject and and uh, we only got a chance to kind of deal with the first um, uh, lesson on it. I'm trying to, in this series again, remember, we're going to look at these various issues, but always go back to the Bible. That is always our mo- uh, motto and our motive, is to get back to what God says. It doesn't matter what James Hamilton says. It doesn't matter what Arlington Baptist Church says or any other individual or church in and of themselves say or believe. It is what God says. And so we funnel everything back through the Bible and try to establish with you, the listener, what does God say and try to give you enough food for thought that you can, uh, again, develop your own uh, further thinking on these issues. And I hope, uh, if you're a Christian, of course, that you respect and believe and submit to the Bible as the final authority And upon that uh, authority, you can base your life and have confidence that what you believe and how you're living is right when you're right with the Bible. Well, back to the subject of politics and government. Uh, In our podcast last week, we talked about uh, where government uh, arised, where it started, how it got going. Uh, and we want to go a little further into that, and we'll get into some nitty-gritty issues. I know you're probably wondering, are we going to talk about, you know, politics in America and, and, and uh, President Trump, former President Trump, and all that's going on with him and the Democratic and Republican, the liberal and conservative issues? We're going to deal with a lot of that, uh, but I'm trying to lay a, a better groundwork, uh, a better foundation to uh, get to those subjects later. We want to see what the Bible says first. And so I want to go on to uh, a couple of questions, and I like to use kind of a Q&A format. It just seems to be helpful uh, answering questions. You look into the Bible. The Bible is God's answer book. You remember what Peter wrote, be ready always to give an answer 
to every man that asks you through the reason of the hope that is in you. And so that means people are going to ask questions and the Bible has the answers. And so as a pastor, as a teacher, as one who loves the Bible, that's what I try to do. So let's go into some other questions, not only about where did government start, but let's talk about what is the purpose of government from God's point of view, of course. It only matters what God says because he's the one that started government for us. He's the one that mandated, ordained that man would live under a governmental structure. Now, I said last time, and, and of course you know this, um, there's been many, many kinds of governments, and we could talk about those later. That might be a subject worth investigating when we get into more modern issues, uh, you know, up-to-date today's issues of governments. But just generally, let's remind ourselves that there is no prescribed government type or system in the Bible. Um, we could say for sure that the most frequently mentioned uh, governmental system was, in, uh, was a monarchy, an autocratic system where one leader ruled over uh, the people. Now, you know, we might think that's antiquated and outdated and, and poor, poor people in the Bible had to deal with that. Well, there's still autocratic governments today. There's, there's still many countries in the world that are run at least in figureheads by, in a ceremonial way at least, and in some actual, uh, actual power is given unto kings or queens and so on. So we know that the, the Bible speaks of mostly monarchs, but it doesn't, uh, it doesn't give us the good or bad about any system of government. It just speaks in, go in general terms about government. God gave us wisdom, thankfully, that we can uh, make decisions ourselves. We can, we can choose to be involved in government and, and help our government to be more effective and more efficient and so on. So anyway, let's talk about the purpose generally of government. And I want to go to that great passage, and there's certain, <coughs> excuse me, certain passages that uh, we'll have to go to that become some of the main teaching in all of Scripture on government. And some are in the Old Testament, some are in the New. Uh, since we are living in the church age and in more of the New Testament uh, structure of life, the, the ones I'm going to look at first will be from the New Testament. And this one's very well known and probably the most popular or well-known political governmental passage in the Bible, though it is often misunderstood, I think, and misapplied, is Romans 13. And I'm going to be reading from it as we try to answer this question today, what is the purpose um, of human government? We talked about last episode that God established human government really after the flood. Uh, at least it is insinuated by God telling Noah and his descendants, his immediate family and those after him, that if you were to take someone's life, your life was to be taken. That was capital punishment. We know that's the death penalty. And the only way that could be rightfully carried out, and it's shown as you go further into the Old Testament, is that human government would step in and have that authority. And you're going to see that again in Romans 13. Uh, so, and by the way, I could say before I even read the text, for any who are not familiar with this passage and who may be unfortunately swayed or influenced by many of the liberal groups today that pick it outside of these state capitals, or I'm, not, I'm sorry, not state capitals, but state penitentiaries, where in a few states, like the one I live in, thankfully, that practice 
uh, capital punishment. You'll have these people picketing and, and uh, you know, giving their point of view uh, to make it sound like the, the, uh, the death penalty and capital punishment is uh, brutal, is cruel, is unchristlike, is non-Christian, and some of them will have crosses and Bibles and so forth. Well, friends, you need to see what the Bible says itself, and you'll see that here's a New Testament passage that backs up capital punishment. So let me begin the reading in Romans 13, verse 1. Uh, Paul writes, Let every soul be subject unto the higher powers. Now that phrase, higher powers, we know is referring to the government. And it's it's good that he puts it in such a generic way, as I said. He wasn't talking about just a monarchy or just a republic or just a, you know, whatever form of government you want to put in the blank there. He's saying all higher powers. And by the way, I might add, you got to remember that when Paul wrote this, what kind of government was he living under? He was living under a dictatorship and, in fact, a brutal, cruel in many ways, a cruel dictatorship, the Roman Empire. And Paul, uh, we can't say exactly when this book was written, so I'm not going to try to guarantee dogmatically who the, who the emperor was when Paul wrote these words by the inspiration of the Spirit, but it's possible that uh, one of three different uh, emperors was reigning, either Claudius or Caligula or Nero. And we know, and there are several others in the mix there too, before and after them. But um, any of those three you can choose, if you look at their history, these were just maniacal men. They were, they were psychopaths, you can call them. And so for Paul to write and tell Christians to be subject unto the higher powers, it automatically tells you and me today that there is a certain submission that we ought to have to government, no matter what kind of government we live under. Now, please don't misunderstand me, and I'll fill in the blanks and flesh this out more later. I'm not saying that government doesn't have uh, responsibilities to the citizens, like we have responsibilities to the government. We'll talk about that in a later question. But it is amazing to me that Paul would start by saying in a general way, that Christians ought to be good citizens of whatever country they live in. And that's really important. Now, let me go on in the reading. For there's no power but of God. The powers that be are ordained of God. So that's basically saying what we've already stated, that human government was established by God and that we should submit to it to a certain extent, and we'll get into things like civil disobedience and so forth later, but we're just talking in generality so far that we should indeed uh, submit to the government. Now, notice verse 2. Whosoever therefore resisteth the power resisteth the ordinance of God, and they that resist shall receive to themselves damnation. Now, that word damnation is a word that means judgment. It doesn't necessarily have to mean eternal hellfire type judgment. Uh, it means judgment in general. Now, it could mean, if it was speaking of a lost person that dies in their sins, yes, it could mean uh, hell and damnation. But back to what the main premise is of the verse. He says, if you resist the power, you're resisting the ordinance of God. The word resist or resisteth is used three times in that one verse, which is telling me that God wants Christians to be humble 
to submit to the government whenever possible. And we're going to see, and I might be getting ahead of myself a little bit, but I'll just say this. Uh, whenever the government passes laws that do not directly, clearly violate the law of God, we should uh, obey those laws. And that's what this verse is saying. Now, going on, and we're going to get more into this, answering this question, what is the purpose of government? Here we go. Look at verse 3. For rulers, and that's a good general term too to use, it doesn't mean just emperors, it can mean a president, it can mean a governor, it can mean the law enforcement in your area, your mayor, it can mean any ruler. I'm glad he didn't say just the emperor or whoever's the top dog in the whole country. It could mean anybody. It says rulers are not a terror to good works, but to the evil. Here we get a purpose. Uh, this is one of the main purposes, and I've alluded to it already, but here it comes more clearly to us. A government is supposed to uh, be a blessing, uh, to reward, if you will, to, to acknowledge and recognize good deeds and make that possible in a society for people to live uh, wholesome lives, keeping the laws, doing right, and we'll get into religious freedom in another passage in a minute, but all of that's part of it. But they're also to be a terror to evil. A terror to evil means that they are to, by the use of capital punishment, of course, they are to be a deterrent to evil. Anyone who says that capital punishment or the death penalty is not a deterrent to crime is simply foolish. Uh, this person is not thinking straight or has deceived themselves. Uh, you can only, in a basic way, think in your mind, here's a criminal getting ready to commit a crime that would take or would uh, uh, bring the death penalty as, as the uh, consequence of it. No doubt that person has to be thinking. Now, I'm not saying it stops all of them. Of course, it doesn't stop everyone from doing it or we'd never be, uh, you know, executing anyone. The death penalty would never be put into practice. But what I'm saying is, I'm sure that the death penalty, it, it forms a deterrent. It forms a, a way in which people think through the idea of committing a crime before they do it. I bet there's many a person who has thought of either killing someone they hated or someone that was just, you know, uh, irritated them so much that they would like to kill them. But they thought, hey, if I kill this person and I'm apprehended and arrested, I may, depending on where they live, uh, they may have to give their own life. That has to be a good deterrent. That has to be. There's no way anybody could deny that. So that's one of the purposes, he says. Now, he goes on and says, Wilt thou then not be afraid of the power? Uh, there again, it's backing up the same principle. Why would you be afraid of the government if it didn't have the authority to do something uh, as serious as take your life? Of course it does. Now, he ends by this, and this kind of brings the balance. Do that which is good, and thou shalt have praise of the same. I like that. Uh, you, know, you know the old statement, if you're doing right, you don't have to worry about the laws against uh, wrongdoing. You know what? If you if you keep the speed limit per se, and you uh, you you don't steal, you, you you don't deceive people, you don't kill, you don't rape, you don't do all these things, you don't take illicit drugs, you can you can just put in whatever you want there as a crime. If you don't do those things, the law doesn't bother you, does it? Of course it doesn't. 
because you're keeping the law. And that's what he says. He says, do that which is good, and thou shalt have praise of the same. The government will reward you and let you live a peaceable life. You won't have a lot of issues to worry about, right? Well, going on, verse 4. For he is the minister of God. He, now look at that word, he. He is modifying back to the rulers. Now, I know this is a controversy, and and any of the ladies that are listening, uh, please don't misunderstand me. I'm not trying to be chauvinistic or anti-female. I am not anti-woman. I'm married to a woman. I love my wife. God loves women. I love women. We all love women. They're this gentler sex. They add so much to our lives. This is not a chauvinistic statement. But I will tell you that the word he modifying rulers does back up that God's initial plan was for men to rule and lead in government. Now, I have to tell you, because we've got to the place where there's so many weak men in our society and others in America, that godly, good, sound, many conservative women have stepped up, and I, and I praise God for them. Uh, I don't think initially God had it in his will for women to rule in these places, and I could get into that deeper at another time. I don't want to go too far off on a tangent, but the he there is... I think backing up the idea of male leadership, just like male leadership in the home through the husband and father and male leadership in the church through the pastors. You can't be the husband of one wife if you're not a man, uh, despite notwithstanding all the nonsense we see in society about uh, what gender people are. We'll get into that maybe later at a social uh, issue podcast. But anyway, going on, for he is the minister of God to thee, for good. Well, I like that. That's worded very beautifully. In other words, God ordained, there it is, God set up government for the government to minister to us for our good. Now, not in a spiritual sense, because we're going to talk about the the proper look at the definition of the separation of church and state. I know that's a really misunderstood concept in American government today and in our American society. We'll talk about that later, but um, what he's saying is, in a secular way, a non-church, non-spiritual way, really, uh, the government is there for our good. And I think that word good really just is talking about to create a safe and peace, peaceful environment for us to live, to raise our families, to worship God, to observe religious freedom, however we seek to do that. Uh, to have opportunity to, just like the founding fathers said, of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Uh, that's really what that was to be about. Now, he goes on. He says, but if thou do that which is evil, be afraid, for he beareth not the sword in vain, for he is the minister uh, of God, a revenger to execute wrath uh, upon him that doeth evil. I'll have to get back with you, okay? Uh, just call Ted. Oh, okay, I'll call Ted. Thank you, man. All of it? Great. Thank you. Appreciate it. Sorry for the interruption, folks. Uh, had a guy working on an AC unit, and he had to come in and talk to me, so no problem. Uh, going on. So, but if thou do that which is evil, be afraid, for he beareth not the sword in vain, for he is the minister of God, a revenger to execute wrath upon him that doeth evil. Now, remember this, but if thou do that which is evil, be afraid. <laughs> Uh, back to the same thing he said earlier, for he beareth not the sword. I made a comment about this last week, so I don't have to go into it in great detail, but 
the idea of a sword, of course, has to do with capital punishment. We know the death penalty, which the Bible does teach. He wouldn't use the word sword if he was referring to something less than that. And so here we have uh, the idea of the government bearing the sword. This is part of this whole concept I'm getting at. How do we uh, look at government's purpose? What is the purpose of government? Well, generally speaking, from this passage, let me sum it up again. Government is to provide a peaceable, uh, tranquil uh, society for its citizens, safe from uh, invasion of outside forces, safe roads, safe safety in your home by providing law enforcement and fire uh, fire department uh, involvement if we need it. These are all issues that the government does. And there's other things we can talk about. Uh, that is providing a safe and peaceable life. Uh, but on the other hand, it's also to punish the evil. So as a deterrent, we don't have to live under constant threat. I think it's a tragedy, folks, today that uh, I, I really, I've got some strong issues, uh, strong opinions on these issues, but let me just say, I think it is, it is, uh, should be defined as domestic terrorism. When we have people who literally, especially our elderly, our older folks, uh, who live in fear in their homes, uh, that they're going to be, uh, their home's going to be invaded, they're going to, it's going to be broken into, they're going to be hurt, killed possibly, their their possessions stolen. Uh, it happens all the time, these drug addicts who, who are so uh, uh, wanting drugs, they're, 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 they're just so desperate, is the word I was thinking of, that they break into the homes of, of the innocent, of the vulnerable that can't defend themselves. It's a cowardly act. I think it ought to be punished as domestic terrorism. But see, this is back to the point of this passage. Government is supposed to keep its citizens safe. It's by no means supposed to be a terrorist uh, group itself. And we'll talk some more about that maybe at a later time. But governments that do not keep their people safe, and in fact, the people are in fear of their government, that is a total opposite of what government was supposed to uh, fulfill. Now, uh, that might be good to bring up another passage that we'll go into now. We have enough time to maybe cover one more, and that is in 1 Timothy. Now, it backs up what I just said, and I want to answer another question as we go into this new passage in 1 Timothy. And that is not only what is the purpose of government, but how was government to operate? And I've been answering that somewhat, but this will add some light on it. Now, let me read this passage. If you have your Bible there, we're in 1 Timothy now, chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. Uh, well, actually, 1, 2, and 3 I'll read, all three. Listen to what Paul writes again. Now, he writes it to a pastor. This is inspired of the Holy Spirit. We know it's inspired text. Uh, Paul is telling the pastor, Timothy, how he is to uh, lead his church in what their responsibility should be. Now, there's many others that are not in this passage, but the biggest responsibility that we have as um, as citizens is going to be in this passage too, as well as the answer to the question I want to get to really, how is government to operate? Here it is. He says, I exhort therefore, exhort's a strong word. It's a word that means I urge. I urge you, therefore, that first of all, he's adding kind of, 
you know, a, a thicker layer to that. Uh, first of all, it's like I exhort now, first of all, this is, this is priority. Supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men. Now, that's a very general but beautiful verse that when we get together as a church, I as a pastor really have thought through this, this uh, passage here in 1 Timothy many times, and we try to include in our prayer time collectively as a body, uh, praying for a lot of different people, and, and of course giving thanks and, and supplication is praying for other people for specific things and intercessions the same way for all men. I love that. God is no respecter of persons. There's no such thing as racism in the Bible. We're to pray for all men. We're to pray for the unsaved to be converted. We're to pray for all our Christian brothers and sisters all over the world. Now, going on, now I want to answer this question, and our time will get away from us here if I don't, but let me try to get to verse 2. We're answering now the question, how is government to operate? For kings and for all that are in authority. See, that's who we're to pray for. And that backs up the passage in Romans 13, and we just looked at how we're to be submissive. We're to be good citizens. That, here's what we're to pray for will happen, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. Wow, that's, that's terrific. He says here, it's like I've been hinting at, but now I can directly approach it because this passage is, is really clear that the, the way the government's to operate is that its citizens, I don't care what government, it doesn't matter what country, we have, what, 242 maybe bordered countries right now. You know, they, they kind of change because you have civil wars and countries split in two. And so I think at last count, there's maybe somewhere around 242 uh, bordered nations in the world, uh, they should all be living by this mandate. It doesn't mean they are, and many of them surely aren't, but this is what God intended, that they, for their people, they would provide the atmosphere that their people could live a quiet and peaceable life, and I like this, with all godliness and honesty. Now, really, I mean, I could spend a lot more time on this verse uh, but I want to just say what makes that possible is something that America has been uh, known for and has really changed the world over this, and that is freedom. Freedom, but especially one freedom in particular, freedom of religion, as well as the freedom of speech, the freedom of the press, the freedom of assembly, all found in the First Amendment of our wonderful U.S. Constitution. Now, this this idea that the government provides for us an atmosphere where there's peace and quietness means they're not, uh, they're not invading into our, our homes at night. We don't have to live in fear. Uh, so much comes to my mind that I know I'll, I'll be kind of uh, stepping on some things I'll talk about later. I know there's no way to avoid certain things, but uh, the reason why the Second Amendment is so important, the freedom to keep and to bear arms, uh, it's one of the unique privileges that Americans have. Now, there are some other countries that, that have followed suit and allowed it, I think, to some degree. But uh, there's a big debate been raging in our country about the Second Amendment. We'll get into it in detail maybe later. But you know why the Second Amendment's important? Because without the Second Amendment, you can't defend the First Amendment. If the government can, can come into your home like the Nazi Gestapo, like the Russian KGB, like the 
communists, uh, the Chinese CCP, the, the uh, communists in China, uh, if the government can come into your home at any hour of the day or night and you have no way to defend yourself, you are at the mercy of that government. You are nothing but a pawn. You are nothing but a piece in the puzzle that they control. And so this idea of the way we have a quiet and peaceable society is the government's to provide means for self-defense. Their individual uh, people ought to have the right of self-defense. That's what the Second Amendment was about, really. It was to guard against a tyrannical government, but it was also to give you and I the privilege of self-defense. And we can be thankful for that. Uh, but then he says, let me fi finish this up, uh, in all godliness and honesty, which means that as the government provides um, the means for you to live in freedom, they're not going to tell you everything you have to do. Now, there's laws. We're not saying there's no laws. Those laws that promote that peace and that quiet life are good laws. Hey, you know what? Um, there's laws uh, against theft, uh, against, uh, uh, you know, assault, uh, all kinds of, there's, there's laws against defamation of character, slander, blah, blah, blah. We can go on and on about laws in our country here in America, and they are for our good. So thank God for those laws. Now we'll talk about some laws later that we believe are unjust laws, and we'll talk about how God permits us to, uh, break those laws, to keep his higher law, that's civil disobedience. We'll get with it a little later. But back to this whole idea is, is the government provides peace and tranquility for us to live. We had to be able to live a godly life uh, and with honesty. And that is really religious freedom. How are you going to be godly if you don't know God? And a country that does not allow its people to worship according to the dictates of their own conscience, that is no government that God honors. That is a government against God. And there are many like that. And religious freedom was the great jewel, the great prize of the American experience. I probably will spend some time somewhere in this subject on politics and government going over the history of religious freedom. Uh, in my teaching at the seminary, I'm blessed to be able to teach a class on the mission, uh, history of missions. And part of that, I get into the history of missions in America and in our original colonies and the foundational documents of our nation, and you get in to see how big the issue of religious freedom really was and still is. And so for today, I'm going to stop. I'll try to keep these a little shorter than we used to do, and I'll get back next time, Lord willing, and we'll continue looking at uh, subjects involved with politics and government. Remember our motto, conviction for truth, compassion for people. God bless you.